You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It's Monday, March the 13th. It is a blustery morning here in TW11. I'm about to head to Cheltenham where it is blowing a hoolie. I'm reliably informed, but it is an ill wind that blows nobody any good. And the good that we've got this week is four days of the very best in sport. It is the night before Cheltenham and news has been coming through thick and fast during the weekend. We are in possession at the moment just of the first set of declarations for Tuesday. But yesterday, Sunday, we learned that shoot first. The favourite for the Per Temps final won't run. Steeler March is also a non-runner in that race. That's thrown the race wide open. Churchstone Warrior, heartbreak for Jonathan Sweeney, to whom we spoke on this podcast last week. He's lame. He'll miss his engagement in the National Hunt chase tomorrow. Gentleman Demi has picked up an injury. That changes the complexion of the Queen Mother Champion chase Wednesday a fair bit. Might allow editor Dejit that uncontested lead again. Connections of the real wacky you heard from Paddy Neville on the pod a few weeks ago. They're still entertaining the prospect of running their novice in the Gold Cup in a bid to emulate Coney Gree, who won the race as a novice a few years ago. And as was predicted on Friday's pod by Anthony Bromley, Willie Mullins has confirmed that Blue Lord is likelier to take on Thursday's Ryanair chase than run in the Queen Mother Champion chase. Anxious moments for Jordan Gainford, the young rider expected to pick up a good fair portion of Gordon Elliott's rides. Uh, he took a nasty fall yesterday from Harmonia Maker in Ireland. He has to pass the doctor to take his rides at Thurless today. That's all the news we've got through on that at present. And talking of Gordon Elliott's riding arrangements, it's been confirmed that Keith Donahue, in a surprise twist, will take the ride on Delta Work in the cross-country chase, leaving the ride on Galvin to Davy Russell. So Jamie Codd on neither of those uh, horses in the cross-country chase. So lots of loose ends that will continue to tidy up through the next couple of days, and we'll be bringing you the action live from Cheltenham during the course of the week. Um, David Yates from the Daily Mirror is with me uh, today. Uh, David, during the course of this uh, show, we'll be hearing from Dan Skelton, from John McConnell, from Fitzdares, Will Woodhams about betting at Cheltenham, and also from the owner of Brave Man's Game, Brian Drew. But what do we need to take stock of first? Something a little unusual this year as we head into the week. It certainly is. How many years have we got to March, having had months and months of racing on hock deep ground and thought oh dear the sun's come out on sunday afternoon it's gonna dry out we've got quick ground for the festival uh let's throw all those calculations from the last few weeks and months uh out of the window it's it's the the opposite way around this time nick isn't it we've had fast ground all winter remember the likes of super saturday at newbury where it was lightning quick and then suddenly i think we were all expecting uh, a a fast ground festival and then over the last couple of days uh, more rain has come than was originally forecast even to the point now that uh, a horse like Marie's Rock and I know you discussed this with Lydia on Friday but that must have been in the connections thinking the fact that it's now test we now have testing conditions for the Cheltenham Festival so uh, she's not going to go up uh, to three miles and take male opposition uh, on for the stayers 
She's going to stay and defend her title in the Mayor's Hurdle on Tuesday, which, of course, is one of the races of the festival because all those brilliant mayors who might in previous years have taken on male opposition are now clashing against each other. And we'll talk about what they've left uh, Constitution Hill to beat in a few moments' time. Um, just a, a further manifestation of the uh, of the weather and what sort of distance horses might excel over. You mentioned Marie's Rock. Another one would be In the Pocket, who was widely expected to run in the two-and-a-half-mile Ballymore on Wednesday, goes in the Supreme Novices Hurdle on Tuesday. We might be getting ahead of ourselves. Who knows? It might dry out a fair bit before Tuesday. We might start on on something like Good to Soft, but it's not what John Pullen's suggesting. He's suggesting at the moment that if he gets the rain that's forecast, it'll be a soft ground start with the possibility of more to come during the course of the week. And that's where I began my conversation with one of the leading trainers, certainly this side of the Irish Sea. All right, we um, we covered a lot of ground last week. I didn't catch up with Dan Skelton, which I wanted to, but oftentimes the sooner you are to the festival, the better the better information you get. Well, w- one thing we know, Dan, is that the weather's going to be pretty grotty and that's going to be in Protectorat's favour, isn't it? And, and he's the one you really, really want. I don't think you have to dissemble about that. No, it's obvious when you get a Gold Cup contender, um, you, know, you, you do think about them, of course you do, and um, you can't help but thinking he was so effective at Aintree last year on near unraceable conditions. Um, and he's run very well, by the way, since that day in the Gold Cup and, of course, in the Betfair on um, on much better ground. OK, the Betfair was, was officially soft, but much better ground, so... It's not imperative, but I think his chance has increased as others are perhaps inconvenienced by it, which is just the way of our sport, really. Sometimes if, if you're convenienced, others are inconvenienced. And, um, you know, if we started getting into sort of soft slash heavy territory, um, it would it would play into Protectorate's hands, all right? Uh, so, so a layman's reading of the run in the Cotswold chase was travelled best, blew up, ran on. Is anything sort of happened since to make you think that was or wasn't the case? No, I'm a bit embarrassed about it professionally because um, I wouldn't say I had a touch of arrogance going into it, but I, I just sometimes when you're with a horse like that, you've got to trust him. And I over, I didn't over trust him, but I just the analogy I used to the owners was I tried to win without breaking any eggs, and that's not how sport works if you're not committed to the golf shot you're not committed to the tennis shot or whatever you know things can happen and you need to be fully committed and 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 that was what called us out I, he was just short of fitness and yeah your your reading of the race is correct i'd add into that actually that after about four jumps he overjumped the water jump uh, in the in the cotswold chase which is i think the fifth and he landed on his nose a little and then he, he got keen um, he was just too fresh as well as being about to blow up and you've got to remember they're, they're really good horses around him they're not you know they're not um, they're, they're 160 plus horses they took advantage of us and um, fair play to them they they got the better of us on the day and you've got to take your hat off but I'm an under no doubt whatsoever you will see a very different protector right in the Gold Cup yeah, which puts him in there with a chance. He was third last year and he he, he ran really well and he, he could just be a, a better horse this year. Who else falls into the will be suited by softer ground category? Whose price ought to be contracting now? Um, I uh, took advantage of a microphone at Warwick 
preview last week and told everyone Galia de Lito would be convenienced by it and she's shortened because of that I think um, in the in the um, brown advisory um, any any rain helps Langadan who runs in the coral unfortunately it doesn't necessarily help the likes of third time lucky um, a dry forecast would be better for Nuba Negra obviously but you know, if it was just soft, I don't think, you know, the ground's not an excuse for any of these, by the way, unless it goes heavy. It's just some are better on it than others. Um, soft ground suits Midnight River, soft ground suits Pembroke, soft ground um, would suit the horses in um, in the Martin Pipe as well. So it's it's our Wednesday, a couple of Wednesday runners that aren't convenienced by particularly slow ground. Exactly. Um, the the horses that we didn't mention, maybe that ought to get a mention. Unexpected party would be one of them in the Grand Annual. Yeah, needs ten to come out to get in. Mm. I think that's probably slipped under the radar a bit. Um, if he gets ten out, he'll obviously take his chance and would appreciate slower ground over two miles. But you probably didn't think Punta del Este would get in when you first got the mark. Has actually ended up getting in very comfortably in the in the Boodles. Um, and I just looked at that that Victor Ladorum run and thought, well, that's got a chance, hasn't it? No doubt. Um, he he would come into reckoning with with slower conditions as well. I actually said to Darren, who owns him, we'd maybe not be running this horse if it was just good, good to soft. Um, and obviously, that's out the window. We're pretty sure that the festival is going to start on soft, good to soft in places, perhaps, or just plain soft. Looking at the forecast, um, and that, I think that enhances his chances. I think if it was just a, like I say, just a normal sort of race, normal race conditions on good to soft, I'm not sure that it would suit us so much. But with National Hunt bred, it was a nice run at Haydock. I think the way the race will be run will suit him. Um, you've got to presume that he's improved, and I can't tell your listeners that that is a absolute certainty because the way you find out if they've improved is by running them. Um, but I get the feeling at home he's certainly not disimproved, um, and you'd like to think that there would be progression just from being in the UK for three more weeks than he had been when he made his debut in that uh, Haydock race. Listen, I I appreciate that that Protectorad is the is the one that you you really want. How how are you feeling generally about the whole squad going into to Cheltenham? A couple of weeks ago, the, the strike rate had just dipped a bit, but you seem to be getting back to peak at the right time. Is there is there anything is there anything deliberate or, or premeditated about that? No, you've got to run the horses in the races they can run in. We've had a bit of rain. Um, uh, Nichols got in the way of us having a one two in the. Imperial Cup on Saturday, which was rather rude of him, I thought. Um, but the horses are in good form. But you can only run the horses on the conditions and the ground that suits them. And, and that wasn't perhaps there three weeks ago. It's more like it now. And I have to say the team as a whole, I think it's a pretty strong team from us. OK, it, it doesn't um, it doesn't hold much light to the likes of Willies. But who's does, if we're being honest? Um, but I, I'm really happy with them. And um, you know the support we've had to get here, and hopefully everyone's getting a good run for their money. Um, you get on the eve of Cheltenham, of course you get apprehensive and you get excited more than anything. Um, you just got to try and keep a cool head, otherwise those around you won't. 
trainer Dan Skelton there, excited about Protectorat as, as well he might be. And he's taking a pretty strong squad into, into Cheltenham. By old standards, David Yates, that would have been a, a good squad. But as he said, battling the might of Mullins is nigh on impossible. And there could be as many as 90 individual animals from Mullins's Clasutton uh, base coming to the Cheltenham Festival, which is quite simply awe-inspiring. Yeah, or inspiring. I'm not quite sure uh, how that's the description the other trainers would use. Absolutely right with uh, Dan Skelton. Um, he said that he was bringing horses, only horses that had a, a real chance of winning. Both he and his stable jockey and brother Harry are adamant now that um, there is a, a fitness edge and and Protectorat has been trained to con concert pitch uh, for Friday and the rain has come as well. It's a couple of the other horses that they've got for the meeting, Midnight River, of course, in the plate. And also we know that um, Nichols used to win the county hurdle when Dan Skelton was there. Dan Skelton has now uh, won that race is it on three occasions now and he's got a very interesting horse uh, this Friday in Pembroke I think yep and he was pretty confident that both of those horses would acquit themselves well but I mentioned how many Mullins would have what do you think's a fair tally for him what would he walk away from the week pleased with Dave numerically do you think very interesting question um and all those trainers say, even the likes of Mullins and Henderson and Elliott say, oh, we just want one, which we know is absolute codswallop. Uh, the, the odds compilers, at least at Skybet, make it just a shade odds against that Mullins will match last year's record haul of 10. He, you know, as he observed after last year's meeting that he got lucky in a couple of races but of course he didn't have the bounce of the ball in a couple of others so i i reckon i reckon he'd probably be looking at about i would say equaling if i if i had to have a bet on the number of uh Clisutton winners nick i think i would say equaling last year's tally of 10 so therefore 11 to 10 not a bad bet for for that score and as you say trainers will always say they're happy with one they definitely will not be happy with one um, and those are the ridiculously high standards they have set themselves talking of the champion hurdle in constitution hill uh, nicky henderson a lot of his big guns are, are set to fire on the first day is there a way of playing the champion hurdle as a punter that you think is appealing either backing him at short odds backing him to win by a certain distance backing a horse to finish in the without market or simply betting against him is there a way that you can play that market efficiently, do you think? I wouldn't be in a rush to uh, bet just against him all in. I would say then in that case, Constitution Hill by an extended distance. Um, hopefully the race will be run to allow him to show what he's made of. We, we know that last year's Supreme Novices Hurdle was run uh, very much like that um, because, of course, we had Dysart Dynamo out in front. Of course, he's not in the champion hurdle field um, this year. Interestingly enough, just talking about um, what we think the talking points will be on Tuesday night, the 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 whip may well uh, come into consideration. I'm sure that there'll be uh, lots of people who are uh, looking at every race and and looking at every jockey to make sure that uh, they don't go four over uh, the permitted number of strikes of seven. Um, 
I would say another talking point. We've we've got a twenty-four pager and an eight pager uh, in the Daily Mirror on Tuesday, and one of those uh, articles is with Dan Barber of Timeform as to whether Constitution Hill is already the goat uh, if he does win and and wins in comprehensive style. I I think that that uh, that debate will probably rumble on, and and it'll certainly um it, it I think it it'll certainly be a a legitimate one if he comes out and, and does what we think he's capable of now dave then mentioned you know strong possibility that new web regulations are going to hit the headlines as we teed up friday and elsewhere on the podcast and in all other places it's quite an interesting moment on saturday when uh, grand national winning and Cheltenham festival winning rider ryan mania appealed part of an eight-day ban he'd received under the new regulation so it was four and four for two separate offenses and he appealed one set of the four uh, this was heard as i say curiously saturday morning and lydia diligent to the last you actually you actually tuned in saturday morning to the first whip appeal for which I really i'm did. immensely grateful <laughs> I, yeah i did um uh, myself and pete scargle were the only uh media i think who were, were in attendance other people were observing and i thought it was interesting just because it's the first time that the thinking of the whip review committee has been tested before the disciplinary panel so as you mentioned uh ryan manu was uh appealing the second the second four days because what happened was on the day when he rode leading force to finish second at newcastle on the 24th of february was that the local stewards referred him to the whip review committee for using his whip once above the permitted level which he was found to have done and received the four days and he didn't appeal that but the whip review committee also found that he had not given his man time to respond. So they also uh, dealt out a four-day ban for that. It was that that was appealed. Rory McNeese represented Ryan Mania, and Ryan Mania appeared as a witness. McNeese basically ran three essential arguments. The first, the discrepancy between the local stewards and the whip review committee. He argued if the BHA can't be consistent with itself, how can jockeys be expected to navigate the rules? He also said that the application of the time to respond rule had changed beyond merely the threshold trigger of three usages to two usages before sparking an inquiry and that jockeys had been given no guidance of that and he also argued that the purpose of the whip rules was not to support welfare uh, but to counter negative public perception and here Roy Manise uh, referenced your interview um, on Luck on Sunday, Julie Harrington's nice. word, where she said that it, public perception was the purpose, countering a negative public perception was the purpose of the whip rules. And he argued that uh, Mania's whip usage did not fail that purposive test, that the public could not be offended by that. The BHA case was presented by Charlotte Davison. It rested on video evidence that the horse of the horse having taken only two strides between strikes. Now, Ryan Mania testified that his understanding of how that rule was worked was in line with how Rory McNeese had described it. Uh, and Charlotte Davison suggested that when she she discovered how Ryan Manor tended to ride his horse, he tended to, his view was that he tended to give two quick um, uh, uses of the whip just to wake a horse up. And that was his habitual usage. And she said that the fact that he wasn't using the uh, right amount, number of strides between his first and second usage hadn't brought him in front of the stewards before purely because the trigger point used to be three usages of the whip and not 
two. Um, so the panel members, Tony Connell and Steve Winfield, asked the BHA to clarify whether the definition had changed and Charlotte Davidson broke to co confer with the BHA and Sam Angel, who is now the chair of the Whip Review Committee and previously was a race course steward for eight years, confirmed that the application of that rule had not changed. Therefore, James Omani, who was the, the chair, he uh, ruled, first of all, he made the point that it's not the discipline panel's place to intervene in the ongoing whip controversy. And he had no doubt, as Ryan Mania testified, that he does love horses and that he uses whip sympathetically. Um, but the only issue from their perspective was whether three strikes between three three strides between the application of the whip, and he stressed the word between, um, was uh, was the correct usage of that, the correct application of that rule. And they ruled that the natural meaning of the word should be used. And so the existing stride should not count, i.e. that there had to be three strides between each application of the whip. And the video evidence showed only three, only two strides, I beg your pardon. Um, therefore, the breach of F45 was upheld, the four-day ban was upheld, and they said, made the point that this was the minimum pe penalty, so there was no wriggle room. Um, but they also gave uh, Ryan Manny his deposit back. And they advised the BHA to re reiterate uh, the interpretation of this particular stride pattern rule uh, before Cheltenham Festival. Uh, so to stress that right. between the uses of, of your whip, you have to allow for three for three strides and not any less. Uh, OK, so where does this leave us? What observations did you have just watching on? Um, I can see where this confusion derives from. And I think that during the bedding in period, the BHA did write to Ryan Mania to say in another instance where he had not allowed the correct number of strides between the usage of his whip. I think they could have spelt that out a bit better. And I think in general, they could have let jockeys know about that a lot better. I also think the BHA should take the disability panel's advice to reiterate the application of this rule. And they should do it before the Cheltenham Festival, particularly as well to the Irish jockeys, of course. And if there are lots of these kind of breaches on the Tuesday following Cheltenham, I think the BHA will have to explain themselves. The discrepancies between the Whip Review Committee and the interpretation of the local stewards is not helpful, um, particularly as Ryan Manny has said that he'd been advised by uh, the local stewards that they didn't think that his usage of the whip in that regard had been a problem. It can only sow discontent, disharmony and confusion amongst jockeys. And I just wonder whether the emphasis on perception is going to become an issue in the long term. Well, what about a festival winner for John McConnell this year? Nobody would begrudge it, and he's been tremendously successful at Cheltenham before at, at other meetings. And John, you're kicking off straight into the Supreme Novices with a 50-to-1 shot. If Fenner Cross runs well, we know he can stand by for a good week. Is there any shot of that happening? Well, Nick, he's, he's certainly in very good form. Um, probably as good a form as we've ever had him. His, his work's been really good. Um, I thought he would have a higher mark in the UK. Um, he's only three pounds higher in the UK compared to Ireland. Um, so even if we got his fourth run into him, we couldn't. We probably wouldn't have got into any of the handicap. So we were always coming to Jellum for a crack at something anyway. So um, listen, he has to improve an awful lot to to win, but he could run a big race at the same time. Now let's get serious with this mile emission. You've got no Churchstone Warrior to worry about this time either. And albeit that you're a six to one shot, I'm not sure you should be six times the price of Gaillard de Manil. What do you think? Listen, obviously, Willie's horse is a very good horse, and on the ratings, he looks um, 
you know, he, he should be favourite. But um, certainly the last day, that, the, that race was was, more, was pretty much an afterthought for us. We we stuck him in it. I hadn't trained him hard for it. I backed off him after his chase win in Navin. And um, we kind of took a pot shot at it because we thought we might win it. But So I think, there, you know, he'll improve from that. And he's, yeah, he's in really, really good form. I couldn't be happier with him, uh, the form he's in. So whatever, you know, whatever beats him will, will, will have had a race anyway. He, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really, normally I'm dreading running these horses, but I'm actually looking forward to seeing him run. I mean, he's probably get the vote for the ugliest horse at the festival, I'd say, if you, if you stood him up. But he's got a big uh, heart and big lungs and jumps very well. So, um, you know, uh, I don't think stamina will be a problem and ground shouldn't be an issue. So, yeah, it's, it's an exciting race for us. Yeah, and listen, there's only a tiny little mirror by the winning post. There isn't one in the winner's enclosure. So, you know, he doesn't need to look at himself. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. He, he's by the same sire as your bumper fancy in Canto Bruno. I say he's a fancy. He's People have been sort of half remembering him over the last couple of weeks because it's been a long time since October. Is, a, is rain a, a worry for him? Um, a lot of rain might be a worry. Um, he'll handle, he actually has a little bit of a knee action, so he'll definitely handle some cut. Um, it's hard. The forecast seems to be changing all the time um, in the last week. I, to me, it looks like it might dry out kind of Tuesday, Wednesday, and then get wet again on Thursday. So if that happens, we could be okay. And you've got uh, the whole stack of entries for, for Anna Benina. Where's she going? And more than likely, she goes to the county hurdle. Um, the two mile five of the Coral might just might just stretch her on, on slow ground, but uh, the county will be you know played to her strengths, a fast run race, and I think she's very overlooked and uh, in, in the betting. It's a, like her last two runs were were excellent runs. Uh, yeah, so she might just be a little big. What about Seddon? Because you've got a hurdle and a chase possibly for him. Which which, which way are you leaning? We're leaning towards the place. Um, I suppose the Coral Cup looks does look very competitive. You could pick four or five horses that you could be well, very well handicapped in it. Um, the plate probably not as much, and he was so he was so good over fences and Leopardstown that that we we think we'd probably go there with a chance. Yeah, listen, the handicapper had to say after after Leopardstown, but I mean he had that field beaten probably five furlongs from home. He he decimated them and. Um, he was a you know he was a classy horse in his youth, so uh, you know he seems to be really well. So yeah, he definitely you know he'll he'll turn down the hill in with a chance, and whatever happens after that, we'll see. And will hereditary rule get into the race? Do you think? Well, I hope so because I put him on the ferry this morning. So <laughs> um, I think he will. I think he only needs three to get it get a run, and I I I, I think he should get in. Um, he he probably wouldn't want the ground too soft, but. Um, he'll take his chance if he gets in. Um, Jack Hogan's going to claim off him. So, again, he ran quite a nice race um, in November when he had an interrupt preparation. He quite a bad cut after he won in Dan Patrick. And uh, he was probably only 90% when he ran in in, in November. So, um, you know, none of them are going without reasons for going, you know. And and is, is High Bottenews going to run in the Triumph Hurdle? Yeah, he went as well. Um, like... If you take out the Willie Mullins Brigade, I don't think it looks like the greatest of races, you know? And I know Zent is the outsider of his four, but, I, they, you know, from what I can gather from the stable, they think a lot of her. Um, 
So, you know, we were only three legs off or, and it was our first run over hurdles. So he's a, he certainly has worked like a really good horse. So it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a shot at it, but, uh, you know, he's still a novice. So I'm not going to win the maiden hurdle this, this time of year. So he might as well have a go with something really good, you know? And, and how does it feel to be actually getting over there now to the festival with a, not one, not two, but sort of three or four live live chances? You know, we know you've come over here and had loads and loads of success at, at other meetings, but to actually get in the festival and say, right, yeah, I'm here. You said earlier in, in the year, I feel like an outsider and that's the way I like it. I don't suppose you feel that much of an outsider now, do you, John? It's, you know, it is a, it's a mixed kind of emotion because you're excited and you're, you know, thrilled to be going and proud of going, but like, you know, if you don't get the win, uh, it's, it's certainly the it's certainly the biggest anticlimax. Um, uh, you know, you can have in racing is, is when you go to Jellam and you don't win. So, um, hopefully, we get to win this year. Well. Rather um, thrillingly, obviously, as we were last year, because we need a base during the course of the Chatland Festival um, for the podcast, we will be um, housed by our good friends uh, at Fitzdares in their pop-up in the in the orchard. I don't know whether you knew that, Fitzdares Chief Executive Will Woodhams, did you or, or not? Yeah, yeah, it's a good home for you, Nick. There's plenty, uh, there's plenty to drink and eat. Yeah, hang on a minute, not at that time in the morning. There's <laughs> a jockey club croissants. It, work it out. It'll be it'll be me battling with the with the vacuum cleaner and the clinking glasses from the jollity of the night before. But that's fine. It's all it's all part of the fun. I suggested to Lydia we needed somewhere quieter, and she went, "No, I enjoyed it in there last year." But and you will have to try one of our twenty pound pints of Guinness, Nick, uh, which is half half Guinness, half English sparkling wine. Uh, we're upping the ante on the cost of Guinness at uh, Cheltenham, very unpopular. What we do want to know is how the how people are going to bet this week and how it how it's going to change from last year. Is there going to be a cash betting bonanza at Cheltenham? There is, 100%. We've already had clients tell us that uh, if they're on course, they'll probably be betting cash on the rails. And, and just anecdotally, uh, you just have to go racing and see there's some really quite punchy bets being placed on the rails. These are these are sort of uh, clients, they're not laundering money or anything strange like that. They're just old-fashioned more old-fashioned punters that are not willing to uh, share all the documentation that's needed uh, for an online account these days. And yeah, they're, they're on the rails, I think it'll be double the business versus last year. D- double the business? I think so, because you remember the, there's lots of £20 punters, but it's the people putting five grand, ten grand on horses that really are the, you know, 50-60% of the rail at Cheltenham rail uh, bookies business. And those are the ones that are uh, attracted to cash betting. Okay, so you're not standing on the rail. There's nobody from Fitz dead. Yeah, we, we we don't take any cash at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but no, even the even bookie shops now will ask for uh, anti money laundering and documentation. So really, the last place to get a good cash bet on is on the rails. But you do have, as I said, your your pop up in the orchard where we'll be based during the course of the week. And it, 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 just how big a week is this for for entertaining clients and, and generating business? It's the biggest week of the year. It's, I mean, if, if Ascot came in, in March, it, it could be the same. But it's your, as a, as a bookmaker, it's your acquisition period. You acquire more customers this week than any other week or bigger than the World Cup, whatever bookies might tell you. And, uh, and the money is huge. Uh, it's not so much anti-post anymore. It's, it's on the day bets. Uh, but there's so much liquidity in the market that the, the, the prices are really honest. And it's, it's, a, it's like it's the showcase of National Hunt Racing. And it's in March. We've just come out of a 
really miserable jam Feb. So I'm expecting it to be a bit of an explosion of both punting and racing, I hope. As Will Woodham's Chief Executive of Fitzdares, David Yates joins me. Now, it's all very well, David, um, betting plenty in cash during the course of the week. But as one um, sage pointed out on, on social media, you can't spend it anywhere on the race course unless you go back to the bookmakers because it's cashless. Yeah, yeah. well, that's something that uh, I lament personally, uh, being of, a, of an age where cash is still just about clinging on to being king. Um, I, I, I don't see why there can't be at race courses um, a, 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 a part of the business that still remains in cash. You know, I, I know I'm 54 and I have plenty of friends who are older than that. And I think they would agree with that view. Cheltenham has been cashless for a, a couple of years now. And yes, as you say, you can uh, you can win your money in the uh, betting ring, but you can only spend it once you get into the town. I, I, I personally, again, with a small part of the business being allowed for cash, I would have thought that would be uh, to the benefit of the race course that you can pay your seven quid uh, for a pint of Guinness uh, using Redis. But obviously, uh, those at the top feel that uh, that isn't the the um, the correct position. What about the idea that there'll be twice as much, Woodham's thinks, twice as much cash bet this year as before because of affordability checks and restrictions? Yeah, it's a very interesting view. Um, I, I've i never um, heard anyone put a figure on it before. I, I've only talked to people who feel that the, uh, the, the on-course betting market, both at Cheltenham and elsewhere, will... Uh, receive something of a shot in the arm as a result of the affordability checks. Um, whilst for many years the 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 way that uh, the on-course betting market has suffered, whilst we'd all like to see that reversed, you know, when when I got into racing, John McCrick used to talk about the jungle, uh, and I used to love going racing and being in the middle of a uh, of a a really vibrant betting market that has disappeared over the last few years i would long for it return for it to return but not in these circumstances all of us who bet and work in racing know that um affordability checks are an unwelcome uh intrusion into people's private financial affairs and uh we don't want them well of course one of the other leading british based hopes for the Cheltenham Gold Cup this year. The Boodles Cheltenham Gold Cup is Brave Man's Game. We've spoken to Paul Nichols about him. The The vibes seem to be very good. He is co-owned by John Dance and Brian Drew. We've had John on the podcast plenty. Haven't had a chance to catch up with Brian as yet, but I'm very pleased to say he joins me now. And he's no stranger to big race success, nor indeed success at the uh, at the festival. Um, Brian, for you, just describe these, these next few days in the lead up to the festival and indeed to to the Gold Cup itself when you've got a, a, a serious chance. Good morning, Nick. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, it's a quiet festival for me this year, actually. I've only got the one runner, which is Brave Man's Game in the Gold Cup. So three days of enjoying racing, really, and trying not to think too much about it. Um, in many ways, it's, it's a bit of a free hit for us at the Gold Cup, I think, because... This fella's already had a good season with the Charlie Hall and the King George under his belt. And you know, that's a great season in anyone's book. So in many ways, this is probably me kidding myself a little bit, but in many ways, this is a bit of a free hit. 
um you know if he comes home with it then absolutely fantastic if he comes up a bit short well never mind still had a good season we'll have another go next year so it's it's, it's an unusual year for me i usually have three or four runners um but injuries and things have slightly gone against us this year so we've just got this one fella on the friday so i'll try hard to enjoy the racing in the run-up but i'm sure it'll get a little bit nervous on thursday night friday morning what what really sparked your interest in the game in the first place brian I've always loved jump racing, Um, uh, and even as a teenager, I loved jump racing. Um, And when I sort of retired from a corporate role in 2011, I um, I was determined to to have an interest as an owner in some way. Um, And I spent a lot of time looking at trying to find correlation, really, between horses' behaviour before racing and, and after racing, and. And I looked at a lot of old sales catalogues and tried to find some sort of clues as to how you could get some success in jump racing. And I came up completely empty. And I, I gave gave up on it really for a year. And then in 2012, I thought, come on, you're only here once. Um, have a go at it. Have a low risk go at it. You never know your luck. And um, I brought it down really to three three criteria. Firstly, a King's Theatre gelding, because the statistics on King's Theatre at the time were overwhelmingly good. Um, find, uh, find a partnership with somebody that knows the ropes so that you're less likely to get the wool pulled over your eyes. And find a trainer that you trust. And they were my sort of three criteria. And then one day... I saw on David Pipe's website uh, a King's Theatre gelding by the name of King's Palace, um, who was a store, unraced. He'd been on there for some time, as, as I understand it. And um, I thought, well, I'll, I'll pick up the phone to David. And I rang David, and I thought, well, that's the last I'll hear of that, probably. He doesn't know me. Ten minutes later, he called me, and he couldn't have been more helpful. And I decided to go down and see this horse. And I took my father with me because he was a very good judge of character. And uh, we went down to see this fella and watched him work. And then we had, uh, had, had, some, had some drinks with David and Martin afterwards. And Martin gave us the, the usual sell with the go on the equisizer and so on. Um, and I thought, I'll, I'll have a go. This, this fella seems to fit the bill. Uh, the other half was owned by David Johnson, um, obviously a, a massively big owner with Martin. And latterly, David, uh, he unfortunately, I never met him, he unfortunately passed away the following summer. Um, and King's Palace turned out to be a pretty damn good horse. He won his bumper at Plumpton by half the track. Um, he was a pretty decent hurdler, won a grade two at, at Cheltenham. Um, and he got to 156 over fences. So I was very fortunate to get involved in such a good horse first time out. Um, but he, you could say in many respects he got me into this mess, really, because <laughs> I think if he'd been no good, I probably would have dropped dropped the thing like a stone. Um, but King's Palace is to blame, really, Nick. Um, fabulous horse, lovely flamboyant fella, and um, unfortunately taken too soon when he, he struck into himself at Aintree in April 16, and we lost him there. But um, it's as a result of that experience, Nick, that really I've got completely... Um, immersed in the sport and obsessed by it really which is which is lovely and you've had some great partnerships as well with owners particularly with professor tisdall caroline tisdall who again we've we've talked to a lot on on this podcast um how did you and she kind of find each other and and end up 
actually owning a ton of horses together, some pretty good ones too. Yeah, um, and we obviously met through uh, the connection with David. She she joined David about a year before me, I think, and we were very like minded. You know, we wanted to get success at the top level in the sport. Um, she's a lovely lady. She's great to be partners with. Very wise, very clever lady, and um, we bought. We started buying horses together then. Um, most famously, probably Moonracer and, and Tom Poor too. Um, and when we had success as partners, and, and we're still partners today, which is great. But I met her initially through David. Moonracer champion bumper winner, and Tom Poor too, a, a dual winner of what's now the of what's now the Ultima. Yeah. 2015 champion bumper winner moon racer um fabulous turn of foot didn't really get the career he deserved unfortunately um and Antonpo too was just a, a fabulous little horse um very professional always tried won the 2017 ultima off top weight which you know festival handicaps aren't won by top weights um, and we had three runners on the day um, and he was probably our least fancied for that reason and he's the only one that came in um, dead heated almost with single farm payment but just got the nod in a photo of course because as anyone knew about single farm payment he often lost on the, on the nod in a on the nod in a payment and Anton Portu was about the most genuine horse around now yeah. these moments have been wonderful for you and they've happened you know, by a lot of owner standards reasonably quickly um try to imagine yourself in the winner's enclosure after the gold cup can you can you imagine yourself there yeah i think he's got a very good chance um he's a damn good horse his jumping is brilliant uh paul's got him in fantastic condition this year we've trained him differently we've used him more sparsely um and he's nothing like the horse he was two years ago i think you know any comparisons with that day in the Ballymore, I think, are, are completely inapplicable. He's much bigger and stronger, uh, and I think he, he'll give a very assured performance. I can't really see him out of the top four, Nick, barring mishaps. Um, so, you know, as they turn in, if he's in the shake-up and he manages to kick on up there uh, better than anything else, then we could be in the winner's enclosure. But one has to be realistic. There's some damn good horses in that race, and it's a tough assignment for him. Brian, thanks for talking to me. Pleasure, Nick. Take care. All right. Thank you to Brian Drew. Best of luck with him in the Gold Cup this week with Brave Man's Game. Now, Liam Burke has become the oldest winning jockey in Ireland since 1923 after he rode and trained the winner of the bumper at Limerick yesterday. He's 66 years old. He last rode a winner in 1988. This is the week of dreams, David. It seems to have started off in the best possible fashion. What an incredible story that is. Um, as you said, the um, the second oldest person to ride a winner in Irish racing history. Harry Beasley rode in a maiden plate at Punterstown and won it. He was 71 years old. That was in 1923. Um, he won the Grand National at the end of uh, the 19th century. Yeah, very interesting. I think that uh, Lucky Lyrene, uh, the runner-up in uh, that bumper, was ridden by Jamie Codder. I think he was uh, six years old. I think it was when um, 
Burke rode his last winner, and of the the other three jockeys, none of them were born. So it's an incredible story. I mean, imagine uh, riding a winner under rules at sixty six. As you say, this is a this is the 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 week that dreams uh, take place on the turf uh, in at uh, Cheltenham over the four days, and there's no greater example to lead us into that week than Liam Burke. And Dave, where are you going to start off the tipping week on the Nick Luck Daily podcast? Remember that a two-to-one winner of the 5.30 race at Wolverhampton today is just as good as a two-to-one winner at the Cheltenham Festival this week. 5.30 race at Wolverhampton, selection number four, give a little back. Great stuff, Dave. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for your company today. That was Monday the 13th. Uh, We will be back from Cheltenham first thing in the morning. We will see you there. Let the games begin. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.